Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. This week, we're kicking off a month devoted to that sweet sensory sensation we all know and love, chocolate. Whether it's cookies, breads, puddings, or some magic dust, we're willing to don our chocolatier's hats and get busy baking and tasting. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, welcome back. I missed you last week. And while I was recording by myself, I noticed I kept pausing because that's where you would have laughed. So (laughs) listeners, (laughs) if you noticed some extreme pauses, that was just me doing what's natural and waiting for my, my podcasting partner and friend to laugh along. So I'm so glad you're here and back this week. I am happy to be back, and I am ready to laugh. I think uh, (laughs) our first laugh will be here when we talk about why we chose chocolate for this month's theme. Do you perhaps remember what made us pick chocolate? I totally do. It was actually back during Pumpkin Palooza Month, which was in October, and it is something that your daughter kind of said in a bit of frustration. Yes. As I served her her, I don't know, fourth or fifth pumpkin dessert, she said, can't you just make something chocolate? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we thought, hey, that's a great theme month. Perfect. Yes, we can. And we will. Yeah, two years in, it seems a good time to go ahead and focus on chocolate. So we're excited. Get ready. We're going to be rolling out all sorts of chocolate delights this month. Yeah, I can't actually believe we haven't done this theme. I mean, we've made so many chocolate things, but they've never been compiled in one month. So I think March is just going to be an excellent, very tasty month. We've got some really fun stuff lined up. And there are some people out there, and I gather there might even be one or two of our listeners out there who don't like chocolate. And I've actually enjoyed reading a little bit. Those people feel very maligned and abused because, you know, whenever they say something like, I don't really like chocolate, everyone gasps Mm. in horror and Mm -hmm. shock and says, how can you not like chocolate? So if you are uh, someone who's not as much of a chocolate lover, let us know that too, because I'm really interested in what you do like instead. And Andrea, speaking of something that the folks not super keen on chocolate might like, we received the most adorable email from one of our youngest fans, Ben, and he suggested that we make a lemon raspberry streusel cake as he did for Thanksgiving recently, and he sent us a beautiful picture. We then got a follow-up email from his mother who said Ben listens every week and has been baking for a while, really loves it. It is his passion. So, you know, we always love those fan letters and it was just the cutest. Didn't you love it? I loved it. And I wanted to thank his mom for sending us that email. It was so great. And she included a picture. Yeah. And the cake, the cake looked absolutely fabulous. And I just love that it was signed, Ben, 10 years old. (laughs) (laughs) At what age do you stop putting your age? With your your signature, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I've mm-hmm. stopped. Um, yes, I don't so. do it either. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Maybe I should start it up again. I found it quite charming. <laughs> uh, 
Well, we love getting all of those. And if you are making something and you are not on Facebook or don't want to share it on Facebook, remember you can always share it with us at our email and that and that's hosts at preheatedpodcast.com. That's right. Stefan, I have noticed that there has been some questions on our Facebook group or an occasional email either one of us have received where people are looking for links to the recipes Mm. that we've been making. So I'd like to give a quick little housekeeping update for all of our listeners and let them know where they can find our recipes. Yeah, it's excellent. And one of the main ways you can find our recipes are in the show notes for each episode. It is a blog post that we do that correlates to every number of episode. And you'll hear us talk about the number during the episode. Example, this is episode 114. So you will go to the website, preheatedpodcast.com, search for that episode. If it's that current episode, it's going to be right at the top of the page. And you'll have an extensive synopsis of the episode, what we've talked about, the different links. You'll find the links to the recipes there, as well as other things, gadgets, travel, all kinds of stuff we've talked about in the show. So that's a very thorough way. Also, if you just want a recap of the show or need a refresher on something we talked about, you can find it there. If you're listening to our podcast on an app on your phone, whether it's Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Overdrive, Almost all of those podcast apps have a place for an episode description, Mm -hmm. and this is usually a one to two paragraph description. It's fairly short, but Stefan, we always try to include links to the recipe inside of that description as well. So you should be able to jump to the recipe links as well as the show notes. Um, We'll usually include a link to the show notes as well in your episode description in your podcast application. Right, right. The final place you can look, if you're on Facebook, we have a Facebook group. It is called Preheated. You do need to be a member to join it, and you have to answer our super secret question, which is cake (laughs) or pie. (laughs) I really most enjoy uh, reading the answers to that cake or pie question, and there is no right answer. We're just trying to make sure you're not an automated bot. Yeah. So. Once you join our Facebook group, you'll notice every week we have two posts that are consistent. On Mondays, we always have a post with a release to the latest episode of the show and a link to the show notes. And on Tuesday, we will post our bake-along for the week, and that will have a link to the recipe. Yes. So that is another place that you can find the recipes. And thanks to all of our listeners who helped each other out when some people were looking for recipes. It's so wonderful to see that question come in and then jump on and realize that one of you has answered it for us. So we really appreciate that. That's one of my favorite things about the Facebook community now, Andrea, is that you and I can take a back seat sometimes and just watch these folks interacting all over the world. And it's really heartwarming and always very helpful. So of course, that's another great resource. Yeah. Well, Andrea, since you weren't here last week, we wanted to kind of bridge the gap between our pie month, our third annual pie month last month in February, and this month, our crazy for chocolate month. With a little bit of a cheat, but that was our black bottom oatmeal pie, and I gave my review last week, but since this did have a little chocolate in it, we thought we would check in with you and see where you landed on that pie as well, so I'm dying to hear how it went for you. Yeah, I can give you a quick review. Um, I had mentioned in the episode where we introduced this recipe that I was nervous about the two tablespoons of cider vinegar in the crust. Yes, 
I am happy to report that although I did really smell it and taste it when the crust was raw, I took uh -huh. kind of a little bite. By the time it had mellowed and, you know, chilled, and I actually did let it chill overnight, as it stated in the recipe. Okay. There was absolutely no flavor of vinegar in it whatsoever. And I made a note on here that this is the easiest pie crust I have ever rolled out in my life. It was beautiful. There were no tears. There were no jags. It just rolled into this perfect circle. And I know that's because it had that two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar. Wow. I mean, what does that perform? I always assumed it was a flaky component, but are you thinking it somehow smooths it out as well? Ooh, um, I did assume that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah, it sounds like it was. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that is the role of the vinegar is to give it um, some ease with stretching out. So okay. I, I can do a little a little scientific research and look that up to make sure. In fact, I'm sure one of our listeners knows the answer to that. What role does the vinegar play and why does it make the crust easier to roll out? But it was very effective in this particular recipe. Excellent. When when it came time to actually making the pie, I had a similar experience to you. And I yeah. guess my biggest uh, review here was the sentence that I wrote that said, this seems unnecessarily complex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just all of the like... Uh, you know, freezing it for 10 minutes yeah. and then removing it and lining it with aluminum foil and then refreezing it and blind baking it and, you know, moving the pan out and letting it cool and then doing the egg white glaze and then returning it to the oven. It yep. just, I just felt like that was a lot of work that I, I couldn't necessarily see um, why it was so important. I have previously done an egg white glaze on a par bake so that the crust doesn't get soggy. Um, but I don't know. It just felt like a whole lot of work, uh, ultimately, for a pie that no one in my family jumped up and down about, which I was yeah. really disappointed because yeah, yeah. I, I like all of the individual ingredients. I think if I did this next time, I mentioned that I used that dark corn syrup. I used the Caro brand. And quite honestly, I don't really like the flavor of that. I mean, mm -hmm. when you think about it, if you, you know, get some on your finger and you taste it, it is so sweet. It makes your teeth hurt. Yeah. And I think if I did this again, I would use the Lyle's Golden Syrup. Although I kind of had the opposite problem, which I didn't think it had any flavor. Yeah. Is there a Lyle's Dark Syrup? That's a good question. Okay. I've only let's look seen into that. one, but yes, let's do some let's do some sleuthing on that. Yeah, it uh yeah, it sounds like you had the experience that I did as well and it was really fun to see the amount of people who tackled not only this pie but all of our pies this month. Yeah. I think we had a really great buy-in from the listeners and I'll I'll tell you, I mean, we didn't do a blue ribbon in February because there weren't five Mondays, but I would have to say that pear pie would have taken it across the board. We had a lot of listeners do that pear pies. For some people, it was their first, which I just thought was so fun. And on the black bottom oatmeal pie, I know we had Heather, who thought it was too sweet. Yeah. We had Karen, whose family said no. <laughs> and I believe Kim said she made it, but I'm not sure I saw her ultimate review. So okay. um, maybe she can post an update for us. But listeners, we love it when you guys post your bake-alongs and you tell us how your families felt about it and how you felt about it and the amount of time it took and whether or not you do it again. All of that stuff is fascinating to us. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing with us. We really appreciate it. 
Well, kicking off our first bake-along during our Crazy for Chocolate Month, Andrea, this is a recipe that you found, and it is from Tartine. Now, that is a cookbook that's had a lot of chatter on our Facebook community over the years. I know that listener Lydia either has that book or has cooked from it in the past. I know some other folks have weighed in as well. And these are the salted chocolate rye cookies. I know four of those words intimately. The rye is going to give me a little bit <laughs> of, of a new experience. Tell us what about these cookies really drew you in. Uh, yeah, some of those words are new to me too. So I think one of our listeners back during our 19 for 19 had suggested we start looking at alternative flowers. Yes. And we are holding that aside for perhaps an entire month. But I think that's when I first had seen this recipe because it does use rye flour, which is not something that I have previously baked with. Mm-mm. And as I looked around, I noticed that there's multiple recipes out there that use both chocolate and rye. So it sounds like it must be a good combination. Okay. Now, I have a little bit of an embarrassing story about tartine, and that is when I was in my local bookstore here recently, oh gosh, maybe four or five years ago, and it's prior to starting preheated. I had seen the tartine book, and it is beautiful. Okay. It's, you know, kind of more square than rectangular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I use the phrase coffee table book, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a, in my mind, it's a coffee table book, but it's, you know, bread and pastry. So oh, I was like, oh my gosh, this is my, my name written all over it. So <laughs> I brought it home, and it's a three pound book. So it is definitely kind of a heavy weight on your coffee table. And as I said, I'm embarrassed to admit that while it was utterly beautiful, I never made anything from okay. it. And one time and in kind of a fit of purging, I just went ahead and gave it away. Oh. I have since that time seen multiple people raving about this cookbook and their recipes. So I've always thought to myself, I really want to bake something from tartine. So that's how I picked this particular recipe. Well, it's fascinating to me. If you look at the ingredients, and there aren't very many, but they are almost extreme in their quantity. It's <laughs> a good way to describe it. You Because you're starting with a pound of bittersweet chocolate, and they specifically ask for 70%, preferably Valrona. Andrea, that's a really expensive chocolate, or am I mistaken? It is definitely more expensive than others, but um, at least for those of us here in the U.S. who have access to Trader Joe's, they sell it at a really good price. Okay, so, so good way mm-hmm. to, to look there. I think I'll mm-hmm. probably go with a green and blacks. I think that's available in the U.S. too, but that's the one I see at that 70% very frequently here. Yeah, that makes sense. Then you've got some butter. And then here comes your whole grain rye flour. Now, they're calling it a dark rye flour. I know I can get this at my Whole Foods. Andrea, I'm assuming it's also relatively easy for you to find there in the States. I went to my co-op, and they do have rye flour. It did not state it was whole grain or dark, but okay. that's that's my option, so that's what I'm using. Okay, excellent. Then there's some baking powder, some salt, Four eggs at room temperature. Make sure that they are at room temperature if you're in the States. Here in the UK, that won't be a problem for me. Muscovado sugar, one and a half cups. Now, Andrea, do you have any of that Billington's Muscovado sugar you've talked about in the past? I am out of that. I <laughs> went through I went through it at the holidays, but I okay. do have another source for Muscovado sugar. And listeners, in fact, stay tuned because in March we're going to have a segment on natural and alternative sweeteners and we'll talk a little bit more about Muscovado sugar. 
For me here in Seattle, we have a company called, I think it's called the India Tree, and they import it. And I can get it quite easily on the shelf of any of my local grocery stores. It is a little bit more expensive than regular brown sugar, but I can definitely taste how good it is. I think it has you know a lot more molasses in it. Yeah, it's actually about the processing. So if you couldn't find Muscovado, a good dark brown soft sugar would work here for your substitute. Great. And then a tablespoon of vanilla extract. I love a recipe with a very robust vanilla flavoring. Me too. And then you're going to sprinkle on some sea salt on the top. So, uh, you know, fairly, fairly straightforward as far as melting down your chocolate with the butter, combining your other ingredients. You do want to chill that and... It, it says you're going to have a very soft and loose batter until you do chill it. So it sounds like a step you cannot skip there in number four. I know that you're pointing that out for me, Stefan. You're oh. not fooling me. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Look ahead. But not too long. It does say, it says it firms up as it chills, and you want to do it for about 30 minutes, but yeah. not too long, because the longer you chill it, the harder it, is, harder it is to scoop. So this isn't one that you would chill overnight, for example. Perfect. All right, then you're just baking those off, and you have, do you put the sea salt on before or after? Mm, I think you press the sea salt on before so that it kind of adheres in and then you bake it. Yeah. I mean, to start off our crazy for chocolate with these sounds just about right. They just to me sound like a very rich, very dense, chewy, super chocolatey cookie. I can't wait for this. Now, I'm very excited. It sort of almost feels a little bit like a brownie cookie. So I am looking forward to it. Yep. I'm very much looking forward to it, especially with that new flour that I've never used before. So that's going to be exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So remember, we'll have a link to that recipe. That was the salted chocolate rye cookie from Tartine in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 114. That's on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Facebook group. Stefan, did you grow up with Hershey's cocoa powder in your pantry? I sure did. And I'm proud to say I still use it today, even though it's a little harder to track down in London. It's always on my care package wish list. That's right. I forgot. You did mention that you wanted that one. I don't think I ended up mailing it to you, though, because the shipping of the semi-sweet chocolate chips at that point seemed like more of an emergency to me. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely the right call. But the nice thing about having lived here for almost two years now is that I've got more of my must-have American staples well-sourced. So I do know where to get my Hershey's when I need it, even though the import price tag is eye-watering. How about you, Andrea? Are you a big Hershey's fan as well? Um, before I answer that question, let me back up a little bit and explain what cocoa powder actually is. Hmm. Cocoa powder comes from the seeds of the fruit of the cocoa tree, and the seeds, which are actually beans, are fermented, dried, and roasted. Then those beans are cracked into nibs, and the nibs are ground into a paste made of cocoa solids that are suspended in a near-flavorless cocoa butter. Once that butter's extracted, the crumbly solids are left behind, and it's those solids that are ground into a fine powder. Yum, I think. You know... <laughs> As a kid, you only try the unsweetened cocoa powder once before you learn that unsweetened cocoa powder and hot chocolate mix are definitely not the same thing. <laughs> so true. Unsweetened cocoa powder really is just the essence of chocolate flavor without any extra fat, sugar, or milk to get in the way. I've noticed both Dutch process and natural cocoa powder called out in recipes. 
what's the difference? And more importantly, can I substitute? It's hard enough to get my hands on one box, much less stock two different kinds. Yes, those are the two main types of cocoa powder you'll see called out in recipes. In fact, listener Lori recently sent us a message, and she asked about the ingredient which was baking cocoa, and that was from the moist chocolate bundt cake we made back in episode 61.5. So that's another term you'll see that's used, and it generally means unsweetened cocoa powder. Both Dutch and natural are unsweetened, and they'll definitely taste bitter alone. The Dutch processed is made with crushed cocoa beans. Oh, don't you mean cacao? Uh, I love making you say that. Yes. Dutch processed powder is made from cacao beans that have been washed with a potassium solution that neutralizes their acidity. Mm. Whereas natural cocoa powder is made from cacao beans that have simply been roasted and then pulverized into a fine powder. So I'm guessing Hershey's is the one washed with chemicals. You know, I would have guessed that too, but no. Actually, most supermarket brands, including Hershey's, but also the more expensive ones like Ghirardelli's and Scharfenberger, are natural cocoa powders. Hmm. If you're looking at the powders, Dutch is noticeably darker as a result of being washed in that potassium solution. The Dutching process makes the cocoa smoother and more mellow. Okay, so it sounds like there might be a slight flavor difference, but otherwise I'd be okay to sub. Well, not so fast. (laughs) Because the natural cocoa powder hasn't had its acidity affected by the potassium solution, it's usually paired with baking soda in recipes, Mm. whereas the Dutch processed cocoa is paired with baking powder in recipes. Well, I wish I'd known this in the fifth grade when I needed to do a science project. Imagine (laughs) the fun I could have had substituting and documenting the different results. And eating the failures. Always. (laughs) But Fear not, our good friends over at one of our favorite websites, What's Cooking America, have a handy chart that will tell you how to substitute. For example, you can substitute natural for dutched if you add in baking soda, Mm -hmm. and you can substitute dutched for natural if you leave out the baking soda. I'll put a link to the chart in the show notes. Trust What's Cooking America. That will be incredibly helpful. Andrea, back in episode 31, our sugar-free ice cream, we made that wonderful agave-sweetened chocolate ice cream, and it used a third of a cup of unsweetened cocoa powder. Do you think it matters what type of cocoa you use in a recipe like that? I don't remember it being called out. Yeah, and recipes that don't have any baking powder or baking soda, like ice cream or pudding, they are pretty interchangeable. You can use an equal amount of natural unsweetened cocoa in place of Dutch process, and although the final result won't be quite as dark in color or maybe as rich as intended, Mm -hmm. it will still taste quite delicious. Just don't ever use the instant hot chocolate mix as a substitute because that has lots of added ingredients like sugar and corn syrup and milk. Andrea, I have a memory from the start of 2018 when you were exploring vegan, gluten-free brownie bites. Didn't you make something using raw cacao powder? That's right, I did. We talked about making the vegan brownie truffles in episode 61.5, but I actually ended up making a similar recipe from a chef named Emma Spitzer instead. And those were basically date balls, but don't tell my daughter. She actually thinks they're brownies. No! (laughs) Mum's the word. I've also seen raw cacao powder popping up in Whole Foods and some other natural grocery stores here. Is that true in the U.S. as well? Oh, yes, definitely. Costco, Trader Joe's, even Target carries it now. 
Remember how regular cocoa powder is made from grinding the roasted cacao beans? Mm -hmm. Well, the raw cacao powder is made from cold pressing unroasted cacao beans. Mm. Fans of the raw cacao powder say the lack of roasting means a higher nutritional value. Extra points to you for saying cacao like four times in that paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for noticing. Well, we aren't doctors, so I'm not sure you should listen to our nutritional advice, but... Yeah, as always, decide on what you're most comfortable with and use accordingly. Listeners, if you'd like to experiment with cocoa powder, you might want to try some of our previous chocolate recipes that call for cocoa. In addition to that agave-sweetened ice cream I just mentioned in episode 31, there's the Texas Sheet Cake from episode 28.5, and that used cocoa in both the cake and the frosting. And Andrea, if I'm not mistaken, it was your blue ribbon in May of 2017. I think you're right. Uh, Don't forget, there's also that contest-winning moist chocolate cake from episode 61.5. That is an easy and delicious bunt. Or if you want even more ice cream, go with the simple chocolate ice cream with Rocky Road mix-ins from episode 80. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning. Join us next week for a review of our chocolate rye cookies and find out if this new foray into an alternative flour was a success. And Rescue 911! We'll also talk about preventing accidents and injuries so that your kitchen is only known for dangerously good things. Thanks as always to Anne-Marie Russell for providing our theme music. You can find more of her music on Amazon and iTunes and at annemarierussell.com. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Thanks to our latest review from I Am A Person, who said, Thank you for reminding me what it means to be a student, teacher, scientist, friend, and most importantly, a baker. Wow! I know, I love that review. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.